What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Comrades Classroom Podcast. On it, we get to sit down with two of our homies, Kingsley, a graduate student and member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, and Broderick, a graduate student and member of the Black Power Collective out in the Inland Empire. They share a lot of expertise about direct organizing and why it's important to study alongside the work in the field. To support the podcast, share with friends, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us sustain our survival programs and keep the community fed. Free the land, free the people. Excuse me, everyone, I have a brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night. Having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folks the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother's son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'm going to remain a soldier till the war is won. Chop, chop, All right, so um, I mean, I'm really excited to be here, sitting here with uh, Kingsley and, and Broderick, um, so the, some of the other homies from the coalition. Um, and one way we usually get started with our intros is really just for y'all to um, introduce yourselves. Um, and and if you can, like the first time you speak, um, just say your name and spell that out for folks. Um, it's just an accessibility thing we've been trying to do and include um, into our intros. Um, and kind of the first question I want to hit with y'all um is like one thing we've been really focusing on with the with the podcast interviews itself um is trying to really understand everybody's um like their own experiences and their own journeys that got them to a certain um place in their life um or a certain political consciousness uh, I think a lot of people right that happens through experiences and other people right um it's more learned um and and you kind of turn that that praxis into into uh field work eventually you know but um, I'm really interested in y'all's political journey um, like if there were like key individuals or experiences moments in your life um, that kind of impacted your political consciousness or kind of where you're at today in your in your organizing and either of you can go first really oh, you, yeah, have- but, <laughs> you got it you got it B yeah you got it I, I, I'm gonna go ahead and uh Introduce me. So my name is uh, Ogadinma Kingsley Okapu. That's my full name. Uh, O-G-A-D-I-N-M-A. That's my first name. Kingsley, my middle. K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y. Last name Okapu. O-K-A-K-P-U. Yeah. Yes, I am Nigerian. Igbo specifically was born in Nigeria before I came out here at three. Went back at like nine years old. Lived for two years and I came back 
since I was 11. So been here for a minute in the States, been in Cali most of my life. Uh, my political journey, I mean, like that, where I was born, that's key, obviously, to how I became a Pan-Africanist. I am African. Uh, I've kind of, I've also had, uh, you know, an interesting upbringing, living with both, you know, Africans out here and Africans over there. Um, especially, you know, growing up over, you know, living over there and seeing the lifestyle there, you know, with Nigerians out there, it's like a whole different culture and you know, a whole different type of interaction because like, it's so, it's just so many, you know, so much black people, you know, cause everyone's black. And like, if you see someone like who's Lebanese, who's white, they're like the minority group. But then if you come over here, you know, you live in the West, you're in the minority group if you're a black person. But mm-hmm. um, one of the key things with me growing up in the Bay Area is it was, it was all love with black people at all times. Even when I was African, you know, all the Africans, all the black folks, we always like gravitated towards each other for the most part. Um, you know, there's always a few of those, you know, type, few of those types who, you know, want to, you know, integrate into white spaces and all that. But for the most part, you know, you know, Africans, you know, African-Americans, you know, Caribbean folk, we was all fucking with each other. Excuse my language if I can cuss, but we was all messing with each other growing up. So that kind of already put the foundation for me because I was always around black people regardless of how many of us were there. Uh, when I got to college, um, you know, I was I was liberal. Yeah, but I was always, I always considered myself open-minded because I was a scientist. So I didn't just like to, uh, um, you know, I had a scientific mind, so I didn't like to just go with things just because, mm-hmm. just because everyone thought it was proper, just because people thought it, was feel, it felt good. You know, I, especially if y'all follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm kind of somebody who likes to go against the grain and I'm always questioning stuff. Even if it's just sports, you know, I'm going to just be like a counter troll, like, well, you know, it's just too much hype going into something. So it's like, I always got to break it down and be critical about it. So that's kind of how I did with like politics before I had a concrete set of politics. And when I met um, one of my mentors who's on Twitter, uh, Shay, good biologist, he basically, you know, he basically introduced me to Pan-Africanism and gave me that infamous Kwame Turi uh, defining Pan-Africanism defining Pan-Africanism on Twitter, on uh, YouTube. You can actually find that video. But ever since then, you know, I became more and more radical. I started reading more into socialism. I got introduced to socialism in AP Euro in high school. And shout out to my um, AP Euro teacher. He was pretty, like, you know, objective. He didn't really demonize socialism. He just kind of taught about it. And I always thought it was interesting. So uh, when I heard Kwame Terry talk about that with Pan-Africanism, just got me into doing more research and doing more reading. And the more revolutionaries I read, the more radical texts I read, you know, the more it made sense just off an analytical standpoint of how do we change society? Like a lot of these red, red, radical revolutionaries are so like analytical and methodical in their approach. And like, if you see how they implemented, you understand why certain individuals were able to have successful revolutions or able to accomplish such good things because they were methodical, they're strategic. You know, they weren't just talking abstractly but they were also practicing and 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 looking at things in the material sense so uh, that's kind of just how i got to where i got got to right now yeah i i, man, I appreciate that that shit is um that shit's important because i think one of the one of the things you really touched on towards the end there um i know i experienced a lot too was getting the my hands on 
um, like the vocab and like not like you, you see these things in your everyday life um, that you like you're saying you want to contest and that um, that you see as violence, but you don't know how to like really break it down. Um, and like having those texts, having uh, access to to elders like Kwame Ture. And I remember my sister handed me Malcolm X when I was younger, um, like having access to that, having the vocab finally, like was something that, you know, um, really kind of it automatically like connects with you, especially, you know, being African and all that. Uh, but I want to really bump that same question over to you, B, um, just uh, kind of introducing yourself and um, helping us understand kind of your, your journey. Uh, yeah, so uh, my journey. Oh, first, let me introduce myself. My bad. Uh, my name is uh, Broderick Dunlap. Uh, you spell that by, with B-R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K. Uh, last name Dunlap, D as in dog, U-N-L-A-P. Um, yeah, I just go by B most of the time, so that's fine. Um, and as far as my political development, how I got to where I am today, uh, politically, um, it's been, I, I would say it's like a, a much, it's like a windy road to uh, me becoming, um, or like a, adopting political or radical politics, um, you know, um, I grew up like a, I was saying a pro-black household. You know, my parents are from the South. I grew up, I was born in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Um, you know, my great grandfather was in, uh, was like really heavy in the, the civil rights movement. Like he worked with Dr. King and um, my paternal grandma, she's still alive. You know, she was, she did work with the Panthers in, in uh, West Philadelphia uh, back when she was a teenager. So it was like always in my blood. It was always around me, but I had never, I didn't really get like politically politically activated until I was a, a young adult. Um, you know, just out of, it was really out of like sheer curiosity. Uh, I think like similar to Kings, I, I was a liberal. Uh, like the first time I got to vote was like, um, like, you know, Obama's second term was my first um, election. And, you know, I just saw that it was a black man, you know, becoming president. So I thought that was a good thing. Um, but eventually, um, I guess I just started to challenge things based by based on my personal experiences. Um, you know, I was a, I was a college athlete and I was getting ready. I was like trying to get a scholarship to transfer. So I had to sell my grades. And so I was in the library um, by all the time, you know, trying to have a good GPA. And um, I ended up picking up uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, just like by chance. I, I hadn't heard about him and just decided to read his autobiography and kind of, um, it really just went from there. Um, around the same time was um, like shortly after I was reading that, it was like the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement kind of popped off um, and I got involved and, um, you know, that's where I really started to develop politically, not so much like within the organization, just like the people that I met, um, you know, there was, uh, I think the people that like I can point to for sure that like kind of set me in the right direction are comrades that um, I'm pretty sure some of you like y'all have met within Black Lives Matter. It was um, Avery that put me on to like, you know, the Black Panther or not the Black Panther Party, but more specifically, like Huey News uh, politics, um, there was uh, Quentin 
who, um, you know, kind of turned me on to, um, you know, black feminist politics. Uh, Yas, Yas, another member of the Black Power Collective. Uh, like, so like when I first met them is when they really like, you know, they just kind of gave me a bunch of different books to read. Cause I was kind of, I just came into the org, just kind of gung-ho and wanted to like do my part. Um, and they kind of, you know, grounded me and, um, and then I just kind of took off from there. Um, I kind of developed a socialist politic when I, you know, doing, um, I was a labor organizer. I was working with the Fight for 15 campaign and I met one of my good comrades, Kato. Uh, they had, you know, started talking to me about, you know, worker solidarity because I was very like, like narrow in the people I tried to reach in my organizing. I was like, I'm only going to reach out to the black workers to try and unionize them. I mean, and she kind of taught, like, you know, put me on to the, um, like, class perspective and, you know, putting that into practice. Um, and then, you know, just the more I studied, uh, the more I developed. And just throughout the years, I just, um, you know, came to where I am now. I appreciate both y'all's perspective. Um, y'all dropping a lot of saying, um, I like, again, like that, that last point you kind of got, or one of the key points you kind of got to was um, once you kind of got out in the field um, was when, when your comrades, right, were really able to get, put a lot of literature and a lot of uh, like organizing shit into your, into your, uh, your arsenal, I guess, if you will. Um, I know that shit happened to me about a year ago. And because uh, I know a while back I had, I had been listening to like Hello Black podcast and, you know, I knew a lot about the people's programs and um, the shit that they were doing up in Oakland. Um, and a lot of my homies have been, have been organizing with them. Um, I mean, I know y'all know Jordan and stuff, and we had him on the pod uh, not too far, not too long ago. Um, but it wasn't until I was able to actually get out in the field myself and, and like have comrades that were able to actually put me onto stuff um, and like you know like y'all have been saying like push you out of those like liberal ideals um, that you a lot of people come come to it with. Um, but I mean, we could bump to the next question, um, and I think y'all kind of both already touched on it. Um, really. Um, this idea, like what, what value do we, do we see, um, like studying, like what's the value of studying, uh, within the revolutionary struggle? Uh, I mean, be whoever wants to take it first. Um, what do y'all kind of see in like the value of knowing yourself and knowing your history? Uh, right. And, and how do these things relate to both the material conditions that are, are, that our people face, but also how we understand and analyze the material conditions our people face. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I got, I'll, I'll go ahead, Broderick. Um, I think for for reading, it just gives you, it gives you a handbook, like a, you know, like instructions. Like, you know, if you ever built, or do you ever try to build something, and if you try to do it in, without instructions, it's going to take way longer, and you're going to go through a lot of trial and error, yeah. and uh, and make a lot of mistakes that you could have avoided if you just read the manual. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what, you know, reading and studying is just reading the manual. You know, when, when if you have revolutionaries who's led revolutions, who've done nation building and have encountered, you know, the uh, tactics like, you know, CIA plots and encountered, you know, like things like, you know, you know, uh, rats and all types of infiltrators in their orgs and their programs. And, and, and they're telling you like things to look out for and they're writing about certain things that you need to watch when you're building and certain like behaviors and, and strategies that may be kind of productive to what your agenda is. You need to understand that so you can see it for yourself. That's a lot of the things I think is wrong 
in today's movements, uh, just being out, uh, you know, being having been out with Broderick in the summer and with the Black Power Collective, you know, and having a, you know, tapping with folks in the Bay when I was up there, like a lot of people are arrogant and they think that they know what they're doing with having, without having to have done the research or the study and without having any resume of any accomplishments to the, for them to warrant, warrant thinking that they should be leaders. So, you know, is we like, we're in an era of clout chasing where a lot of people <laughs> are, yeah, like a lot of people are just like trying to position themselves for platforms, but they haven't, they haven't accomplished anything at all. If you look at the track record materially, what have they accomplished? Mm-hmm. Nothing that they could really vouch for. Like no political education background where they're really radicalizing folks and pushing the good word, no material accomplishments they've gotten like locally at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when you ask them about their political, you know, principles and what they believe in, it's very faulty and you can tell they're not doing the reading. So it's a lot of those individuals. And because I think I think too many organizers, because they don't understand the severity of what it is we're fighting for, too much space is being given to these people. And, you know, I think people need to go back to these texts and do this studying and, you know, really understand that why studying is important because we're making too many mistakes that we shouldn't be making. And it's because a lot of people aren't a reading or internalizing what they're reading. Yeah. Yeah. I I 100% agree with what King said. Um, You know, personally for me, Reading helped me develop a lot, um, you know, from going to somebody that was, I was like 19, I can't remember how I was like 19 when I voted for Obama, to like, so like I really identify with that, with, with that war criminal, you feel me? I really thought that, like I saw myself in him at one point in my life before, you know, I got put on game and started reading about the struggles of, you know, um, you know, black folks, like, you know, Huey Newton, Asada Shakur, you know, the Obadeli brothers and, you know, really um, understanding, like, if I want to, you know, make change and like, if Black Lives, I, it was really like my radical, like my radicalization was really like in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I really, I think the real question for me is like, what really got me going in the research was, you know, if we're talking about Black Lives Matter and we know that Obama you know, there are some faulty, um, you know, foreign policy um, towards Africa and towards Haiti, uh, specifically at that time. I was, it's like, then it really made me question a lot of, like, like it, who, like, is really for us. And it's not just about, you know, our, like, identity. It's not all skin folks, skin folk and kin folk, that I was saying. So I think that reading um, is... Um, like paramount in the struggle is just as important as, you know, doing the actual work. Um, but it doesn't outweigh, I, th- I think King's pretty much encapsulated like the importance of it. Um, it's like knowing who you are and where you stand in society and versus, and like, you know, understanding who our real enemies are. Um, and then also um, like the shortcomings of like people that might come off or might appear to be for you, but like really aren't you know, learning about doing that with, uh, like, I was in the multinational organizations and thinking that that was the way uh, for for Black folks. Um, and then to come to the realization after doing more reading 
that like, you know, our, my ancestors had already like dealt with that and, you know, came up with solutions um, with uh, like the contradictions that come up in, you know, multiracial uh, leftist parties. Um, so it's all about reading and learning and knowing our history. Man, that shit is so important because, I mean, to both of y'all's points, like, um, I think a lot of people listening to and, like, all of us here as well, like, have a lot of similar experience with y'all, um, with, like, first being liberal, with having identified with Obama as being something progressive, right, even though he's a uh, the head of an empire, right, and the, a war criminal, right? Um, and so I just think that's, that's super uh, validating for folks, right, because people think that... Um, I think a lot of liberals too think that like uh, a lot of people who or who they would consider radical um like put themselves above them and like recreate these chauvinist hierarchies in their own minds um but i think like what y'all saying is like this shit like coming to political consciousness is a process and it is something that um like no one just like started at um but i have a kind of a follow-up question um to what you and kings were saying where um like how does living within the heart of the empire right like having only this political perspective from political perspective from being an American, from being, uh, from benefiting from like all of the luxuries of global capitalism um, and the violences of global capitalism. Like how does that reality create, uh, work to create like this hyper delusion around what you were saying, Kings, like understanding really what we're up against when, when we're talking about um, imperialism, we're talking about like empires. You know, um, I just finished reading like I just finished reading um, Jackson Rising not too long ago, and it was a in an interview. Uh, Chocolate Lumumba kind of talked about um, you know some of the shortcomings that um, you know access to the vote and you know these institutions um, kind of you know fogged our our vision and you know made us lose sight of our initial objective, which was like self determination and freeing the land. Um, and, it, and it didn't bring us access to, you know, um, economic and political power. Um, so I think that, you know, really um, just political, like we were just talking about political education is going to help us like kind of mitigate against that, like, you know, delusion or um, to uh, thinking that, you know, that we're straight or that, you know, we're um, as black folks, as um, we're like, you know, on equal footing or that we've made any progress uh, and just making and like really refocusing people on the, the real goal, which is, you know, freeing the land and self-determination and, you know, independence. I'm sorry, I was on mute for a little bit, but, you know, yeah, just trying to add to the a question of, you know, the particular situation about living, you know, in the core that, that you have to understand is that, um, you know, political, like political contradictions, political um, struggle here is going to is gonna be different uh, because of the way the government is structured. Uh, and I say this for like, for example, like, you know, one of the examples key is supporting social democracy, for example, free health care, uh, you know, minimum wage, all that stuff. Supporting it in the imperial, you know, core is different than being in the global south supporting it. Like if you're in the global south and supporting it, you're trying to support nationalization of your own resources. You know, you're trying to support better redistribution of what your own country is producing. When you're in the imperial core, 
the resources you're, you're, you're trying to nationalize or you're trying to redistribute comes from other countries. So, you know, I think another thing people in the global, in the global North have to realize is that, you know, supporting struggles that actually seek to, uh, to like, to shift that whole dynamic is actually the most crucial. So, you know, when, when, you know, when like for the new African movement, for example, they push for, uh, you know, sovereignty, uh, self-determination, those are movements that deserve support because that's saying that, you know, we want to be able to control, you know, as Africans, we want, you know, to control our own destinies, our own ways of negotiating that type of, uh, you know, that type of political power structure leads to Africans in the global North to having non-imperial relations with Africans around the world, because you're divorcing yourself from that Western power, that Western power structure, that, that Western political structure, like the movements of self-determination, the movements of indigenous sovereignty, those weaken the, the global North imperial relations because you're basically constructing your own nation that is owed to you, that's your right, based on you know the history of the US and, and what was uh, enacted by the settlers, you're basically taking that that you know that power structure, and you're 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 weakening it. So because now you're 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 taking away your dependence on this imperialism, your dependence on this exploitation. You're taking that and you're making you know yourself self reliant. You're making yourself independent. And when you have independence, you can now change your relations globally. So that's how a lot of people I think need to look at it living in the period in the global north. That's why I don't support social democratic anything in America because like if you're not shifting the way we that imperial relations are engaged whether you know through trade deals through sanctions through war if you're not shifting any of that then you're not changing the power dynamic you're just basically saying we're going to take what we've been exploiting overseas and you're going to redistribute it to where you live to where we live in the in the US so a lot of the core power structure is not changed Indigenous people still don't wouldn't get their lands land back or their sovereignty. Africans will still, you know, get the worst piece of the pie that's that's going to be shared. So people got to understand the power relations of what it means to be in the global north and in comparison to the global south and understand what positions that you need to take that's actually going to challenge that. And, and that's what's going to keep get people on the right path to building the right, you know, programs and doing the right PE. Yeah, this is Alejandro here, and I, I definitely don't want to drop the topic on on the global economy and how Pan-Africanism aims to uh, combat like Western hegemony and shit like that. But one thing I wanted to I wanted to get back to is the sense of like political identity and the and that the significance of, of political consciousness through um, through studying. And one thing I heard Broderick mention was um, like he came from a family who participated in the civil rights movement, who participated in uh, radical politics themselves. And I was curious, like what your thoughts were on both of your thoughts were on the significance of studying like one's own one's own people. You know, like I myself, I'm uh, a Mexican, and uh, I mean I'm a historian in Mexico, and I think there I, I, that that really politicized me in some sense because I was able to study like economic structures and like why the situation is the way it is you know I never thought I was once like genetically inferior so I was yeah I was curious 
like on your perspectives on what how your identity and how how studying um well how studying influenced your identity and how it like it molded it later when you when you guys were younger adults um as far as studying goes i know like this is just like an anecdote i guess but when i used to get in trouble um anybody knows me i'm big as hell so like my mom like instead of like giving me a spanking or whatever she would uh she would like make me do a book report on like black history so like like me being like it was always like i guess i'd already had knowledge of myself and i was already always like kind of proud to be black but i didn't realize like the political implications of that um until um i started reading the right things i guess um you know, it's, it's um, like, you can read about like, you know, these, you know, Martin Luther King and, uh, you know, uh, just all these other like Langston Hughes and James Baldwin, but like, if they don't, if you're not aware of their politics, then, you know, it kind of doesn't serve uh, that much of like a, an imp- impactful purpose, you know? So um, I think it's really just, I like me studying the right things, me learning about, you know, watching YouTube videos of like Kwame Ture and, you know, Martin Luther King talking about like getting this check and learning that he was armed, um, even though he believed in self-defense and why he believed in self-defense. Definitely, I guess, helped me um, um, learn what it really meant to be like African-American in the United States. Yeah, man, for me, it was, um, you know, reading about and studying it never gave me a better uh, grip on trying to um, trying to uh, relate better to my people. Because I've, I've kind of always related better to my always related to my people just from being interacting with them in person all the time, growing up with, you know, Africans, being around Africans my whole life, you know, Africans in America, Africans in Nigeria. I think for me, most importantly, what reading did was politically gave me the understanding of what it was that we wanted to accomplish as a people. You know, it kind of tied together all our experiences and it tied together all our um, all the struggles that we would relate to. Because there's always things and always posts of if you are black, you understand, you know, why you went through this or every black person has this experience and it, you know, it's always something relating to poverty and, and like the action of preservation and the action of survival that we would do, you know, and that, that was always culturally similar. So when I started to read, I started to understand why, you know, we encountered these things and, it's, and it helps you and your people strategize better as a collective to be able to address it. Because um, uh, I, I think what a lot, and especially a lot of what we see in today, especially on social media, we see a lot of trauma bonding. And trauma bonding is, is it can be useful in connecting, but if you don't study and you don't, you know, strategize on how to address your trauma and how to solve the trauma and not and to ensure, you know, your people don't encounter that trauma in the future, that it's going to be reactionary. And that's why you see the reactionary discourse you see on, on these social media sites often, where it's a lot of in, in-group fighting that doesn't result in any resolutions because it's just people who have trauma bonded uh, just lashing out. 
So I think studying and, and, and reading helps you remain focused. If you're reading the right things, as Broderick said, that's the key. If you're reading the right things, it helps you stay focused and level-headed to be able to actually uh, come to resol- resolutions with your people in your group. In terms of like putting that theory like into action, you know, and putting like those ideas into com- combating like the injustices we see like every day, like uh, I think we're, we're curious about like what what y'all's work is within your respective organizations, and also like within like the idea of the work. If you if y'all could tell us about the history of where these organizations come from, and uh, where the ideas, where the politics come from, in some sense. So I can go ahead and talk about uh, mine. So my org that I'm involved with, the AAPRP. So we were they were founded, and we were founded as for by uh, Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Kwame Ture, Sekou Ture, Amakar Cabral, and Alamine Jenga. Uh, they all got together uh, to formulate, you know, to formulate a radical party that would help promote the building of Pan Africanism. Uh, this was during the time of counterinsurgency to a lot of the in African independence movements. So to, so to try and, you know, keep the uh, Pan-African, Pan-African agenda and to fight off the micro-nationalist uh, reactionary tendencies that ended up, unfortunately, over, overtaking the continent because of the CIA trying to implement neocolonial rule. But to combat that, they tried to form a party that was going to keep the Pan-African politics uh, alive and going. So that's kind of what our party is for, is for, uh, you know, training Africans politically, building Africans and politically educating Africans and building a network of Africans that share, you know, a common agenda and a common goal so that we can achieve that Pan-Africanist global agenda. Um, so we do a lot of PE work, a lot of cadre training, and then we also do a lot of outreach to develop coalitions so we can push initiatives that's going to help Africans globally. Uh, my 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 role specifically, definitely one of PE heavily, but also trying to do outreach as well, connecting with people locally where I'm at. You know, that's how I connected with B uh, when I was in the Bay, you know, reached out to multiple people, you know, got together with them to try and, you know, build you know, build the bonds and build the ties that's needed to formulate, to form, a, you know, a common front. Because I think one of the things that, you know, I want to see specifically, for example, is I want to have another Pan-African Congress like we did when we had the fifth Pan-African Congress in the 1950s. That's what Kwame Nkrumah defined and others defined Pan-Africanism as a socialist politic. Like that was like people, a lot of people say you don't have to be socialist to be Pan-African. Pan-Africanist. And yeah, before the 50s, you didn't. But after the 50s, after the 5th Pan-African Congress, which is pretty important. And if you're Pan-Africanist, you should know what that Congress was, because, I mean, it helped spur the African revolutionary movements and independence movements that you saw all throughout the 60s through 80s. So that conference was pretty crucial in the 50s. But if you were at that conference, it was defined that Pan-Africanism was a socialist politic. So, um, you know, that's one of my goals is for us as Africans to have that central agenda, because the last time we had it, you saw all the good that came with it. You saw, you know, Malcolm was in Ghana 
you know, talking to Nkrumah. Nkrumah instilled Pan-Africanist politics to Malcolm, to MLK. The Panthers were having international solidarity Africans who were, you know, who were struggling for independence movements in the 60s. Uh, you saw Fidel show solidarity with Africans in their independence movement. You saw a lot of Africans show solidarity back. And then you also, if you listen to my pod of the episode regarding Haiti, uh, you know, even the hate, you know, the Haitians as well were uh, showing solidarity to Black Panthers and to Africans on the continent as well. So it was truly a global time period from the 60s through 80s. I talk about a lot about how we regressed after that, you know, with Reagan, with uh, neoliberalism, we regressed from, you know, the radical politics we had from the 60s and 80s. So one of my agendas and what I want to see is I want to help develop that, uh, you know, united front and the, between African people and help build coalitions among all colonized people. Uh, but one with Africans where we're unified and not fragmented, because when we're fragmented, you know, we have a lot of reactionary nonsense, like solidarity is a myth and all this stuff and people misinterpreting what solidarity actually even means or what it actually means to build coalition. It's not kumbaya, it's material. You know, we, you have a common goal, we have a common goal. We align and fight for that common goal and we set boundaries and terms that we need to honor uh, for, you know, as a community, you know, formally, politically. That's what nations do. That's what, you know, political entities do. That's why it's important to organize and have that and not just operate as individuals. Because if you operate as individuals, then you say nonsense like solidarity is a myth because you don't know what solidarity is because, you know, somebody says some racist stuff to you or you didn't like how this non-Black person was or this non-Black person, you know, is anti-Black and all that. So it leads to a lot of reactionary feelings. But when you have a political organized entity, which is what the AARPRP is about building, you know, then you can actually converse as orgs and say, you know, this is our boundaries. This is what we want to work for. These are our terms. That's solidarity. That's coalition building. So Pan-Africanism will also help with doing that with Africans and non-Africans or non-Black people as well. Yeah, so, you know, we're part of the Black Power Collective. You know, how I am. Um, you know, we just recently changed our name um, almost exactly a month ago. We were originally uh, Black Lives Matter in an empire. Um, and, you know, we started by, um, you know, two community members, Matthew Young and then uh, Yao Salcedo, who founded the Black Lives Matter chapter. Um, you know, um, as you guys might know, we had a we recently split with them um, based on, you know, political differences, uh, lack of financial transparency. Um, and, you know, we are looking forward. Uh, we're looking to the future, um, hopefully to really uh, like build a strong parent presence in the Inland Empire, a strong radical black presence uh, for as long as I've been organizing uh, that um, just hasn't existed. Um, it's been real difficult to build, but it seems like, you know, we've been really making some progress in doing that. Um, our part of the programs that we're doing right now is political education and mutual aid. Um, you know, we're putting, and you know, we're always organizing and helping community members that are victims of state sanction and racist violence. Um, but, you know, we really focus on political education and mutual aid uh, because we feel that, you know, political education is, uh, you know, how we get people activated 
you know, to, you know, be willing to do the mutual aid programs to understand why mutual aid programs are so important uh, for building up the community, for building community infrastructure so that we can, you know, have, um, you know, build, you know, sustainable mass movements uh, to, you know, show solidarity with the rest of the, um, you know, with the rest of the diaspora. Um, you know, we think that, you know, as far as our mutual aid programs, we just mostly, you know, feed the people programs, you know, with the pandemic, we have uh, PPE and all that. Um, you know, we have, you know, we're, we're all just a bunch of like community members. If yeah, we know anybody in the medical field, so we can get a medical, uh, like a free clinic side to our mutual aid program, that would be great. Um, but you know, at, at the t- at the current moment, we are really just you know trying to build our community programs uh, to connect with the, the you know with San Bernardino Riverside, the, really the west side of the Inland Empire, uh, not the west side. I'm sorry, the east side of this, uh, the Inland Empire to um, you know just really build a strong presence because uh, you know I think prior to this summer, prior to 2015. Um, you know, there really wasn't a strong radical presence. Uh, you know, we have, along with like the great work that we've been doing over the last couple of years, um, you know, when we first started, we, you know, we caught a, a, a quite a few L's um, organizing. Uh, and then my work when I was back, when I was the, with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, uh, you know, it was really difficult building a radical uh, presence out here, uh, but, you know, that's our main goal is just really, you know, consolidating and building black power in the IE. I appreciate you both. Um, so uh, the next question we kind of have, um, y'all kind of already touched on on some of it a little bit. Um, and I think we focused, we focused so much um, a lot of times, like on, my bad for that. Uh, we focus, we focus so much a lot of times um, just on the past, right? And just on, uh, specifically like past failures. And I think it's like, it's super important, obviously, to, to study the downfalls, the downfalls um, that other uh, revolutionary movements, that other, um, that our elders face, that, you know, all these things. Um, but like, I, I've been reading, um, we are our own liberators and I'm in uh, Jaleel's class right now that he's doing his six weeks class. And he talks so much about like this, the also the need to focus on on what we're building, right? Not focusing all our energy on but like on the actual systems and programs that we need to build. Um, and so one of the, the questions that I, that I want, kind of want to end with ish, maybe like one more after, but it's like, what's next for y'all? Or what do you think should be next um, either personally or for your organizations in, in building these functional programs and systems um, that give our people, right. An alternative that give us self-determination that give our people um, access to resources that, that, um, that we know capitalism intentionally keeps away. Yeah, uh, I think it's important for, uh, you know, people who are on the ground who have the connection to specific resources and specific tools, uh, ally with those who share the same vision. Now, obviously, if somebody, if a group is a reactionary and a group is, you know, for example, doing stuff for a, a different agenda, like, you know, they're trying to be, uh, you know, uh, do be a front for liberals or for, you know, seeking grants from capitalists and not seeking overturn system obviously you can't ally with those groups but um 
if you're if you have a if you know two groups or if you're part of a group and you know another group who's radical and and you have the same agendas we we need to get together and pull our resources i think it's too many people uh trying to do things on their own and build on their own and it kind of comes off as a lot of people a lot of people want pride in saying their group is doing a specific thing when it should be collaborative efforts if we share the same agenda so that's one of the cool things that i was able to see you know with b and the black power collective and you know another mutual aid group that my boy Mikey was running in Feed the Block is they started coming together to do collaborative events. Um, and that's the type of thing we need to do. You know, if we're, if we're for the same struggle and if we're, and we want the same things, we shouldn't be in competition with each other. So we should be building because that's how we get to that unified front to where we can have all these alternatives, right? Outside the state and not be reliant on the state. Because when you think about it, White supremacists are also already doing this. Um, you know, if you look at all the far right people and all that, they talk all the time about trying to get their own little communities and their own little stuff that's uh, unrely on the state. So when it's time to apply pressure, they can they have a whole bunch of you know apparatuses they can use at their disposal that's not state run. So you know we need to have those too. But for our, obviously for our agenda to be self determinant, uh, to be a sovereign, and uh, you know. That's what we have to do on the ground. We have to link up if we're like-minded. And one of the things that I've also tried to do with AAPRP when I came in is be on, is help be an on-the-ground presence for AAPRP, and you know, help push the path in politics on the ground, not just one where we're trying to share it on, online all the time, and and with like-minded individuals, but being on the ground with people, talking with people, um, even if we're online, you know, being open to reaching different groups of people. So we're not an echo chamber because the whole point is to build people power, to get the power and the people we need to, to be able to uh, to be sovereign, to be able to be independent. Like uh, Jalil said on his on, on the interview on, on uh, Hella Black with Blake and Delancey, he said, you know, the Black Panthers or when, you know, when, when they were, when they had the arms and they had, we were trying to do armed struggle, you know, they got cooked because you can have a group of people, sure, that's like-minded with you, but if you're not building people power and you don't have enough people, you're going to get cooked. You know what I mean? So it's important that we build with people on the ground, reach out to them, and we come together. That's why coming together is important because numbers, that's how we're going to win is more numbers. So uh, that's that's really the key for us is getting numbers. And then, you know, hopefully we, we get to that point where we're doing another Pan-African Congress, at least for Black folks, for African folks, is we get another Pan-African Congress, the sixth Congress, and then we actually have a unified African agenda again, and we spur another, you know, sequence of radical movements like we have from the 60s to 80s, and we, we spur a new one. So, that, you know, that's the goal. That's what we should be striving for. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with everything King said. Um, I think specifically for the Black Power Collective, um, our objectives are to continue to grow our political education program and our, um, you know, mutual aid programs. Um, you know, we've got, you know, new members coming in. We want to continue to grow. Uh, like he said, we're really just, um, you know, really getting like, you know, growing in numbers and growing in your programs and solidifying our programs. Like I said, you know, our mutual aid is primarily, you know, feeding folks and giving PPE. But, you know, eventually, you know, we want to do, you know, 
like he said, mutual aid is, um, you know, it's programs, it's building community infrastructure. So, you know, the people don't have to rely on the state for, you know, basic necessities for survival. So, you know, there's, um, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer along with, you know, you know, uh, founding the Freedom, the Freedom Democratic Party in Mississippi. Uh, she had, you know, co-ops for, um, you know, people that got politically activated. And then, you know, these, you know, racist crackers, you know, decided to, uh, you know, fire them or take their housing. Then, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer had a safety net for these people. Um, I think that something like that for, you know, the Black Power Collective would be, um, you know, an incredible goal. You know, we have this space that, you know, we're struggling to get open, but we plan on getting open really soon. Uh, that, you know, we want to have, you know, a library in for, you know, youth, um, a community kitchen so they, we can feed folks. Um, you know, if there's a radical Black, you know, doctor that's out here in the IE that, you know, wants to, you know, link up with the Black Power Collective, that would be great. So then we can, you know, start providing people with free health care. Um, and then, you know, like King said, it's really about growing numbers. It's really not about competition. Um, you know, we rock with Feed the Block. We rock with, you know, the People's Coalition. We rock with, um, you know, uh, the Brown Berets and the IE. Um, and we're really just about building building power. Um, you know, I think so many organizations are so worried about being like the next national leader. And, you know, people that are, you know, people in your own neighborhood don't even know who you are. So it's like, I think our main objective this year is really just, um, you know, further entrenching ourselves in the community. Um, and so that, you know, instead of looking to the state, instead of asking the governor or the government for, you know, assistance when something happens, you know, the first person, the, the first people they want to call is a Black Power Collective. Go, going off of like talking about growing numbers, I wanted to ask about um, that process, like whether, um, like how, how do we grow in numbers and how, how does specifically like Black Power Collective and um, and the All African um, Party, uh, All Africans Party, um, like how do they grow in numbers, but also like, what what are the what are the difficulties of going in numbers? You know, like I think we need to talk about too, like like how, how do we introduce people to concepts like pan Africanism, to concepts like socialism, because a lot of times it, it is like a, I don't know a slippery word for a lot of people. Because I think uh, one of the things we we got to think uh, we all got to think about is like how do we go away from from only organizing with university folk and start organizing people like in the community, you know, in the hood, and how do we do this without like without bullying, without fucking, without keeping people too distant. And um, so I'm curious about like the setbacks y'all might have, but also the successes, like how do they occur and how they occur for y'all in that, whether it be in the IE or in, or in the Bay? You know, you know, personally, I think organizing, um, you know, it's really about like your community. Uh, when I first joined uh, BLM, it's because the sister of one of the co-founders uh, was my coworker and we were chopping it up and, you know, she, you know, she recognized that, you know, I had at the time progressive politics. Um, and, you know, she told me to, you know, link up with her sister and I ended up being activated. You know, it's really about building community. I think, you know, when I, back when I was a union uh, organizer, you know, uh, one of the things that I saw a lot of success in is just really, um, you know, connecting their reality to the politic that you are trying to win them over to. 
Um, you know, when somebody is complaining about their job, that's it's a reason for that. It's because of capitalism is fucking them over. It's because their labor is being exploited. You know, somebody says they hate their landlord. It's like, why do you even have a landlord? You know what I'm saying? It's like, shouldn't housing be a human right? You know, it's really about, uh, I think what well, I think Shay said, um, you know, it's not my fault. Reality is Marxist. So it's really just like, you know, pointing out the day-to-day contradictions that um, point out uh, like that arise in, you know, just, you know, navigating, uh, you know, this fucked up system and, you know, um, giving them a solution you know, it's like, why don't, like, why do you feel like shit when you go to work? Why don't you get better pay? Why don't you have healthcare? You know, it'd be better if you unionize and, you know, give them concrete examples of uh, how that's possible. And really, um, and, you know, being able to give them concrete examples is, you know, a result of, you know, you doing your studying and your research, I mean, showing past examples and, you know, being consistent uh, with these people. I know um, something that, like that's really like difficult as being an organizer is being consistent. You know, there's days when you don't feel like being like, you know, being a community organizer and you kind of just want to, you know, do your own thing or whatever. But, you know, there's, there's sometimes the community after a while, the community starts to look to you and re- uh, rely, rely on you. Um, and it's just about being consistent and constantly showing up, um, even when it's not the uh, most convenient for you. Um how we plan on doing that, uh, like I said, is to continue our political education programs, make our political education, make our po- uh, politics approachable. Um, you know, our mutual aid programs is really going out in the community and not just doing it on online. Um, as far as organizing in universities, I- I'm not really sure. I never really organized in uh, you know, the university setting. It's really, um, it's really just doing that door to door knocking on people's doors, handing out flyers, letting them know that you're going to have a mutual aid right down the street and you're going to be handing out free food. It's really like having uncomfortable conversations and stepping out of your comfort zone and really talking to complete strangers about your political platform and winning people over um, by building relationships. Yeah, I mean, Roger nailed it on the head. It's about being, you know, in the field, being present, making sure people see you in person, you know, that you're showing face, that's very important. Obviously, this isn't something everyone's able to do, but if you're able to do it, you ha- you pretty much have to do it. That's the only way you can build the numbers. Um, and that's one of the things I personally pushed f- um, for the AAPRP uh, because of what's happened, you know, over the years, um, especially since when Kwame Terry died, uh, what's happened with the org internally, um, you know, one of the things I push for is to show more face. Uh, we have a lot of chapters on multiple net countries, but uh, one of the things I want people to do who are involved is to show face on the ground so that you can connect and build. That's how you not only are, that's how not only are we going to be able to build cadre that's going to help expand our party, but it's also going to build cadre that is going and that's going to be able to teach and expand the Panthers movement on the ground. Because now, if, I, if you're reaching out with people, if you're building community with people, in 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 your in your locally where you're at, now you're spreading the information that needs to be spread, and you're and you're building a block and a collective, and starting from a, a base, where people are going to be able to, not you know, who had never heard these concepts before, or are going to hear these concepts and see them in practice, and I think how you win people over, um, is difficult in the West, and I have my own reservations. 
of revolution and who's going to be leading that for any global change. I have my own takes on how that's going to manifest. But just to contextualize it for the West, where we are in the, the U.S., um, I think for us, it's important for us to build these alter- alternatives from the state structure. And what's going to make people gravitate towards that is if you show that they're, they work. So having a consistent program that you can actually commit to and successfully execute consistently is important because it shows people it's viable. And that's the key thing. You want to show communities who are looking for alternatives, you have a viable alternative. You know, when the Black Panther Party had their free breakfast program, it was viable. They were consistently doing it. The defense units, they was consistently doing it. It was consistent. So the the, the areas that they re- were in, you know, they trusted them because they were consistently doing it. They were consistently meeting the needs of these communities. So that's the key is to have programs that you can consistently execute. And once people see that you can execute them, it doesn't matter that you're pushing socialism. Like the Black Panther Party was pushing socialism, but people respected them. Black people admired them because they were meeting the needs of the people. At the end of the day, people are going to support whatever meets their needs. That's how revolutions are won. They're won because these people see that what you're pushing is going to help them. It's working for them. So they're going to support you because they're tired. A project said their work exploiting them. They're tired of not being able to afford health care. They're tired that they have to constantly think about, can I make rent? Am I going to have a roof over my head for me and my family? Things like that. At the end of the day, like whether you want to call that socialism or not, it doesn't matter because socialism is, is, a, is a mechanism. It's an economic system. It's either, you know, we all have equity and we all control the resources so we can have it e- distributed evenly or a few people do it and get rich and make us all miserable. You know what I'm saying? If you understand and you break it down from that concept, it doesn't matter if they want to call it socialism or not. That's just what it is. So if you support all of us collectively owning it, you're supporting socialism regardless. It doesn't matter if you think it is or not. That's, you know, we had these Pan-Africanist debate, and I know Broderick saw it, of where people were like, you know, uh, you know, Pan-Africanism, you don't have to be a socialist to be, pan- to be Pan-Africanist. Socialism is Western thought. And Kwame Ture already told you, like, just because Marx observed observe what socialism was in practice in an industrial sense it doesn't mean he made socialism. Marx even himself, if you read Marx, he even himself, he cites the uh, communalist approach from the pre-colonial African societies as inspiration for what equitable society he wanted for an industrial world. Communism has that commune for a reason, communalism. Communalism is primitive communism. That's already a concept that existed. So like communism, socialism, these are our concepts regarding equitable distribution and, you know, and equity in a society that draws on the pre-industrial, pre-capitalist world. After capitalism happened, after nations industrialized and developed, we have to have a different way of, you know, a different way of being equitable because we've been introduced to so much of this development. We have to have a, a, a new way to make it equitable. That's when Marx started you know, coining source of socialism and communism. But these were already mechanisms that had existed in our own people. So it's not about whether, you know, you know, it's not about the word socialism, it's about getting people to understand, do you support people having housing or not? Do you support people having health care or not? Do you support food being a right or not? Do you support clean water being a right or not? When you can break it down to these concepts, the other part is easier to get people to, to buy into.
Yeah. Uh, wow, that's a, uh, yeah, appreciate that, Kings. I just wanted to add on to, you know, what I was saying earlier as far as, you know, being able to, you know, build your numbers and grow um, as an organization. I think that, you know, uh, I think I like I, I have like internal conflict about this because I think to a certain extent movements do need gatekeeping, but it's like also not gatekeeping like you're organizing at the same time and like finding that balance. Um, I think one thing is uh, that I learned in like I, I take a lot from what I, when my time as a labor organizer um, and my boss used to always tell us like you should be out organ you should be organizing yourself um, out of a job, you know, uh, and it's like you know the people that you're at trying to activate the people that you're trying to organize um, you're trying to like activate and t- like develop them into organizers so that they can organize people and then you know it becomes like this thing it's never um, I think it's uh, like taking yourself out of it and just really um, like seeing the way um, that like how can you grow the movement it's not how can you grow your own specific um, like organization now can not how can you like uplift yourself and you know like solidify yourself as a leader within your community or your organization or whatever is really like, how can I make myself most useful to, you know, push black folks closer to uh, liberation? I think it's, um, we have like these political education classes uh, we try to do those monthly. And then we have a whole political education course for recruitment and like our recruits uh, were doing the class and then they decided to organize, you know, um, study groups within their own neighborhoods. So it's like, you know, doing that and like, you know, encouraging people to like do the work themselves um, is going to, you know, when you give them the tools and then, you know, it's up to them to build. Uh, but I think really like instead of, you know, trying to, um, you know, put yourself up there and like make yourself um, this leader, um, it's really about being humble and, you know, you know, pushing others to be leaders. Yeah, that's um, a question for Kings for sure, talking about that concept of the development. Like, um, one thing I was curious about um, y'all's next steps in, in terms of uh, y'all's collectives and how y'all would want to move forward, right? And uh, Kings has hinted that, like, that uh, Fifth Congressional Congress, 1950s, um, uh, not just iconic, but, um, but it was a catalyst for, like, a larger decolonial movement and uh, what helped uh, found Pan-Africanism. So I'm curious, like, like we've we've uh, done a little P, uh, PE regarding um, regarding Cabral and his ideas of development, how they weren't Western, you know, how you, you didn't want to develop like Europeans, and uh, mm-hmm. he had he had his own unique background as an agronomist. So I'm curious, like, if if y'all could expand on this concept of development for uh, for y'all's collectives, like how how to move forward and how to build something without like a, a 501c model, how to build something without state models um you know like obviously cuba provides examples different movements provide different examples so i was curious what y'all build off of and what y'all envision yeah this is the this is the you know the real the real struggle the real the nitty-gritty um you know for so like for us you know development is and how you know not developing like the west is going to take a lot of studying of different models of approach like you said Cuba, Bolivia, these nations serve as great models for how to, to build a mass movement 
the Zapatistas also are a group that show you how to build, you know, self-sufficient communities, you know, what type of things you need to make sure these communities are able to be successful. Um, one of the things that I think people also need to understand is certain tools need to be used just because, you know, it's, it's, it's materially important. Like you need doctors, you know what I mean? You need teachers, you know what I mean? You need engineers, you know what I mean? You need, you need to be able to solve material problems, like, you know, you know, constructing, you know, like homes for like mobile homes for the home, you know, houseless, you know what I'm saying? So they can have a roof overhead or for people who, who don't have a, a, a home to stay in, they just got kicked out. You need to be able to come up with ways that they can be housed, ways that they can get treatment, you know what I'm saying? They can, they, they can receive some type of education, food, you know what I mean? Like these are, these are ways of developing our local communities to where they can be independent of the state. So, uh, when you talk about the, you know development, it depends on what, what you're trying to develop. If you're trying to develop a community, then you have to look at community models, like you know, the BPP. You know, look at the Zapatistas; they're more community oriented, things like that. If you're trying to nation build, you know, what I mean, you're trying to build a nation, then you have to look at you know more national movements, like what Cabral was doing when he was organizing, you know, you know the Canary Islands. And, and you know what I'm saying for and uh, the other, the nation where he was at, I forgot the name, but I'll remember it later. But when he was organizing them against the Portuguese uh, colonizers, you know they had a specific plan of going into the agricultural areas. He spent I was I'm reading a book right now that he spent three they spent three years organizing for armed struggle. You know I mean they didn't just decide that they were going to do it and that was that. He spent three years getting the people ready to even engage the struggle that was years long. So it's, it's, a, it's a long process, but you have to, you have to look at it methodically, uh, take it step by step and understand what we're trying to accomplish. Like I said, where are you building? Are you building a nation? So then you have to look at national examples. If you're building a community, you got to look at community examples instead of, you know, different community uh, centers or different areas to where you can have consistent programs. So it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And that's gonna t- that's gonna tell you what templates you should be looking at to to develop that. Yeah, I got a question for Kings, and um, I know I'm I don't know if I'm supposed to be the one asking the questions, but whatever. Uh, so you said you know it depends on what kind of model you're trying to develop as far as uh, community versus nation, and it seems to me like you can't really skip steps. You can't just go from like you know, like the material conditions in, you know, the United States, the Inland Empire specifically, you know, black folks are like, you know, isolated and, you know, um, it's kind of scattered throughout the region. So it's like, wouldn't it be more beneficial to build, you know, community first? And then once these communities are strong, we can look towards, you know, nation building. Yes, yes. that's And that's why I said it's important to understand what you're trying to build first, because you can't jump from point to point B without going to point A, like this is a methodical struggle. And just to, to answer that point of where Cabral is, is Guinea-Bissau. So I just wanted to say, shout that out there. You know, don't want to disrespect my Africans, but um, yeah, you know, to get from point A to point B, you have to get to point A. So you can't just go to nation building if you don't have the community. And this is why I said struggle looks different in the West that doesn't go South. Because when you're in the global South, like, you know, yeah, they have neo-colonial governments, but like, for example, in Africa, uh, you know, in Nigeria, the leaders in the Nigerian government are Nigerian. You know what I mean? Like, they're from the land. 
yeah, they're neo-colonial leaders, but they're from the land. So you can be from the land and run your own government. When you're in America, you're African America, but your government is ran by settlers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's a completely different dynamic. So you have to understand where in the global South, they can be more prioritized on nation building because that's their nation. If you're like, for example, in the West, you have to first start off a community building first. That's why the BPP was so successful. They understood this. Build your community first. And then from once you build your community, once you have that stronghold, then you can connect communities to then start building, you know, the national movement. You then start building the sovereign movement. And that's what the ultimate goal was for the new African uh, independence movements. So it's yeah. all methodical. It's all step by step. Yeah, because I, I think about the Black Power Collective and our work uh, is really like kind of following the blueprint, print the the Panthers um, and later, you know, the new African independence movements um, kind of laid out for us as, you know, building strong communities and then eventually uh, reaching out um, because, you know, like the, I think another thing that's like something that might be difficult as far as, you know, specifically building black power is uh, the demographic and IE, you feel me? Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's predominantly, um, you know, Chicano, Latinx, um, and it, um, it can be, um, you know, growing up out there, I know we used to have riots every year between black and brown folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's really um, hard to uh, like overcome that contradiction, um, you know, realizing that, you know, if you're trying to, how can you like try and activate somebody from one neighborhood that might be from some like, and then turn around and like rock with the berets and they might, you know, recruit somebody that's from a rival neighborhood, you feel me? So it's really, um, something that, you know, we have to really educate people on. Right. But I was thinking, um, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, you know, as far as like, that's kind of like our goal is being able to reach out to other organizations um, after we have an organ, like, you know, a strong community. Um, but I was kind of thinking about, you know, as far as Pan-African politics, um, how do we like navigate it somewhere, it's somewhere like the Inland Empire? where, you know, folks might not be um, like perceptive because they're not, you know, African um, to like a specifically Pan-African. And, you know, we deal with, you know, like I've dealt a lot with, you know, organizing with, you know, organizations like the DSA who one minute will, you know, stand in solidarity with the third world. And then, um, you know, when election season comes, they're like capping for Bernie. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where that uh, P.E. and historical t- understanding of showing people that, um, you know, Africans are there are Africans that are in solidarity with the people here. And that's going to make you stay in solidarity with your people globally. Um, when you can build that in your community, you can see that we're going through the same struggle globally. You feel me? Like even if you're on the continent, you're going through the same struggle in terms of you still have to fight that common threat of, of the settler whether they're controlling you in their on their own home territory, or they're controlling you from overseas. You still have to deal with that threat. It's just different mechanisms and tools of the way that they're imposing their domination over you. So, getting people to see the commonality in the terms of when you when people understand we share the same culture, similar cultures, like we all draw from the same source. We all going through similar struggles as Africans, especially ones who are racialized as black. You know, we're all going through that same racial anti-Black struggle throughout the world. 
is like when you get people to see those similarities, they start to they start to understand that man, you know, we can't be free until we're all free. And and it really resonates when when you start to get people and you start building, you know, your resources locally and you start getting your aid. And then when you start understanding that, you know, you need when you need resource help, for example, who's yeah. gonna be who's gonna be more likely to aid you? The West right. you're against or free African nation. Like Gaddafi, for example, is gonna send military equipment and aid, and I think to think to Ashrad Brown, if I'm not mistaken. And that's what kind of got him caught up with, with the government was that connection with Gaddafi. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. when you have radical leaders like that, like Kwame Nkrumah, for example, he he had gotten intelligence tell Malcolm, you're most likely gonna be assassinated if you go back. And that's what tragically happened. But you see what I'm saying? When free African nations are more likely to do that type of thing. They're more likely to give you aid. You know, uh, Maduro wanted to send, you know, oil out because Chavez used to send oil out to the poor families in New York. You know what I'm saying? He used to send oil out there so he can power their their homes. Uh, Fidel was trying to send, um, you know, doctors out to, to, to help during Hurricane Katrina, things like that. You're more likely to get that from a radical nation outside. So when they see that type of stuff, they start to understand, oh, these people are on our side. So that's why to show that. Yeah, just like, you know, having conversations with, you know, my homies and talking about, you know, uh, like radical politics and stuff. And, you know, when you hear about Castro, you know, our, you know, education system is a joke. And, you know, they've been indoctrinated to thinking he's a dictator. But then when you're like, well, if he's a dictator, then, you know, you show him pictures of him chilling with Malcolm X. And, you know, mm-hmm. hanging out, you know, and like really chilling with like revolutionary Africans, then it's like it just basically kind of debunks any kind of bullshit that, you know, we've been taught earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for cussing. I don't know if that's cool or not. Uh, <laughs> I'll cuss. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just like just really kind of like showing the um like the contradictions and us thinking that, you know, we're alienated from the rest of the um, the global South and like really showing that we are a colonized people and not, you know, we're not as much as we think we are, we're not assimilated into like this settler country. Um, and I remember like, you know, just thinking about on Twitter um, and, you know, these ADOS idiots that are always like, you know, trying to alienate the rest of the diaspora for hopes of some like bullshit futile uh, you know, economic concessions from the state, you know, begging for, you know, assimilation, basically. Uh, and they were like, how can we get our um, reparations from, you know, uh, for globally if we can't even, you know, take care of ourselves? And it's like, you know, if, you know, if we had a movement instead of focusing on, you know, free college and small business right. loans, we had a movement focusing on, you know, dismantling AFRICOM and uh, yep. South Africa and South Ford, like, come on, we would, you know, we would have this, we would have the resources to, instead of, you know, beg for reparations to take reparations because, yep. you know, we have a strong mass movement that, you know, freed the land in Africa. So, of course, you know, they're going to show solidarity and exchange resources with us so that we yep. can get reparation, not only to develop ourselves, but to continue to help develop Africa and the rest of the diaspora. So, yep. you know, kind of piggybacking on uh, what Kings was saying, like, it was really like, we gotta, we're, I think to a certain extent, we're, we're focusing on the wrong things and our struggles. Um, yeah. And just like, 
you know, uh, I think single, like just thinking about single issue movements, I think that they're, um, they're important as far as getting people activated initially, but um, as far as having a mass movement towards, you know, making real material change for, you know, uh, black folks um, in the Imperial Corps and um, the periphery, like we really have to focus on like, you know, anti-imperialist movement, building communities that eventually, you know, start, you know, moving towards building, you know, nation building, as far as next steps, I remember somebody asked that earlier. There's a great book called Jackson Rising that, you know, lays out like a economic plan for um, communities to, you know, gain self-determination and like really build community um, on top of, you know, having a strong economic, I mean, a strong political platform. Yeah, solidarity economy. Yeah, that, that book is like, this that's completely shifted my thinking, like as far as, you know, goals and like economic goals um, in our organizing. Yeah, I mean, shit. What y'all are saying is kind of uh, made me think of just about this question about organizing uh, in our context, right? Organizing within um, the heart of the empire, uh, uh, with the uh, within a nation, right? That, that is still occupied by settlers. Uh, I always think back to um, Russell Maroon Schultz um, and this blueprint he lays out about. Um, like this, this he talks about like this mosaic, right? Having a mosaic of autonomous communities, and I think understanding um, the way in which maroon societies and maroon communities operated um, is is hella important for for that. Because I mean, we see we we saw the way in which they um, uh, created um, these these solidarity economies that we're talking about um, alongside indigenous communities as well, and that was how they were able to resist and survive um, uh, vi- the violence of settler colonialism. And I just think even for us today, understanding kind of that framework that that we need to be building these these mosaics within our hood, these mosaics within our neighborhoods and our communities, um, because we understand our context the best. Like the context in, in Santa Ana and Anaheim is going to be different than uh, out in the IE. And the context for um, a, the disabled community within um, those two communities is going to be different as well, right? So there's probably going to be, uh, I know like out in IE, right? This, the, I know y'all got um, like Spoonie Uni and like those folks out there, like there's going to be separate orgs o- organizing around di- disability justice, um, but that are also like working in um, in tandem, like with Black Power Collective, right? And so, so it's that it's those these autonomous kind of this mosaic of 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 groups kind of working towards that same goal, um, but understanding that they they know their context the best, they know their communities the best, they know their their neighborhoods the best, um, and allowing them to um, create that solidarity economy within that. Um, until right, so until we have the opportunity for a mass movement. Um, but like I, 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 we all know um, that in the context that we live within in in, uh, in America, especially um, that like we are so far from that. Um, and so I always think back to that uh, that model that of the mosaic um, of, of autonomous communities that's built off of um, those maroon communities that uh, Russell Maroon shows talks about. That shit for me is always uh, super enlightening to understand uh, understanding it more. I mean. Especially when we think about too, like, um, like the if we see, like, uh, for example, like the um, trans and and not, uh, trans and non-binary and queer community having their own, um, they they organize their own people and create their own safe spaces. And I've seen, I've seen Kings, I've seen you talk about it, where it's not it's not just as simple as handing somebody um, self-defense weapons, right, and saying go out and uh, and now you're good, now you're safe, right? Because that's not that's not reality. But it's actually building. Um, 
networks and organizations within that that can actually teach and, and organize sex workers and trans folks, right? How to defend themselves and how to move um, differently. But I don't know, that's just, that's just like that conversation made me think of um, and back to Russell Moon Schultz. I don't know if y'all got anything else. Alejandro, do you have another question? No, I, I think we're good. And uh, I think we both held them up for, for a little bit. But, yeah. but thank you. Yeah. We appreciate your time for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was great to talk. Uh, I think, you know, one of the last ones I have, I think Broderick talked about this that I want to do, want to harp on. That's key for us is, and for movements in general, we need to have movements based on a, a course of the principles. So when the Black Panther Party came out, they came out with their 10-point plan, right? They came out with a with a core set of principles for the ideology. They weren't, like Broderick said, they weren't a one, you know, they weren't a... a uh, Roger, what was that word you called again? Single issue single. organizers. Yeah, they weren't single. That they weren't single issue organizers. You know what I mean? When you have single issue organizing, it's easy to get co-opted. You know, when you're single issue organizing for healthcare, it's easy then for someone to come out with Obamacare. That isn't a real solution. And what ends up happening is you come out with Obamacare. That's not really satisfactory. But since you're a single issue group, they quote unquote, you know, solved what your people wanted. So you shouldn't be complaining anymore. And like, you kind of see that with the fight for 15, you know, politics regarding the wage issue and the wage disparity with the global South aside. Um, if you're, if you're, if your whole focus is fight for 15, you know what I mean? They can co-opt that and say that, well, it doesn't matter that you don't own your labor. It doesn't matter that the workers don't have ownership over their hours. As long as we, end up at some point giving them $15 a, uh, an hour, then we've solved your problem. And then you, at that point, you've lost the energy behind your people because you're so focused on this one thing that your people aren't mobilized once it's addressed in a certain manner. So you need to have principles of like, we want, we want to be able to control our labor. Like we have to be outright. Like we want to be able to control production. We want better we want to be able to have flexible uh, ability to be able to control when what ways we need to be able to always have access to healthcare. care able to always have access to housing and, and it has to be a co comprehensive agenda the comprehensive agenda is powerful not single issue comprehensive agenda is what's going to keep people going it's going to apply more pressure that part yeah single uh, yeah just like single issue organizer at the end of the day is reformist it's like, at the end, it's like, what do you want? At the, do you want a revolution? Do you want to build a new world? Or do you kind of just want to put a Band-Aid on something uh, to, or do you want to assimilate? So, yeah, just to, that's just my last issue, my last point. For sure. Well, I mean, unless y'all got anything else, I think we good there. Like, y'all ended up hitting things on shit on that we had on the interview questions without us even asking. So appreciate y'all. Hello, I got uh we good to stop recording? Everyone cool? Yeah, black power, yeah. free the land. Free hey, the land, actually, free the land. yeah. If y'all want to plug anything, uh, I know I know Kings, you got a pod, I know y'all got stuff. So if you want to plug anything, go ahead and do that. Yeah, go ahead and, and tap into the four ever podcast for PE, uh support Black Power Collective, uh support uh feed the block, support Hella Black, support um people's programs in, in Oakland, support radical black orgs and radical African organizations tap into the AAPRP. If you want to 
be, you know, connected to some global African struggle as well on our our social media page, AAPRP International or AAPRP, just, you know, the at on Twitter, we're going to be, you know, spread news for African diaspora around the world so you can at least be knowledgeable and and keep that ingrained in you to, to help you move better and navigate better. Yeah, tapping with uh, yeah, tapping with Black Power Collective, like you said, feed the blog does good work in the IE, um, you know, Justice Table, all those organizations. Tapping with uh, Left Out Magazine, uh, building a black radical black pla- uh, platform uh, for media and cultural production. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of something. I don't want to forget nothing. Oh yeah, Black Power Collective will be coming out with. Our political platform, our 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 own version of a ten point program, real soon. So, um, you know, if your org aligns with what we put out, you know, tap in with us. I know some of y'all here today because y'all think jail is cool, but see, y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. I ain't cool about jail, nigga. Ain't nothing. Cool I've been here ten years and I ain't never getting out. Never. I ain't do much, just kill somebody. Yeah. It ain't like the nigga ain't have it coming. He sure did. So y'all think it's just about us in here, but this is about an oppressive yeah. system designed to keep niggas down. And y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. What about you, little nigga? You know about that? Yes. Oh, you know about that? Tell me what you know about that. Tell me what you think about that. The prison industrial complex is a system situated at the intersection of government and private interests. It uses prisons as a solution to social, political, and economic problems. It includes human rights violations, the death penalty, slave labor, policing, courts, the media, political prisoners, and the elimination of dissent. Nigga, did you just say what I was trying to say, but smarter? 